Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. This is Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by Roger Dooley. He's an author, fellow keynote speaker, and the author of the new Friction, the untapped force that can be your most powerful advantage. He's also the author of Brainfluence, 100 Ways to Persuade and Convince Consumers with Neuromarketing. He co-founded College Confidential, which is a leading college-bound website. As someone with college-bound students and college-age students, we know all about College Confidential. We're going to talk about the biggest misconception that businesses have when it comes to loyalty, the hidden secret of what costs you business and loyalty in your customers, and how friction can actually impact your employees, not only your customers. You're going to learn a ton, really amazing stuff with Roger Dooley. Roger, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Ian. Happy to be here. Can you start by sharing something with our audience that they may not know about you? Well, yeah. Um, most people don't know that I am a, a long-recovering motorsports buff. Uh, um, not long after I got out of college, I was very much into um, car rallying, which is uh, at the, the sort of professional level, uh, which is like off-road racing, except uh, it's organized a little differently, and it's done on roads and forest trails and such. And uh, I've gradually, uh, over the years, gotten away from that, although even today I uh, drive a Hummer H3 that I've had for about going on 10 years now, and uh, it's on the road 99.99% of the time, but it still feeds that little fantasy. Exactly. So you, so you still think you can go you know, bombing down a mountain. Now, that's right. I know I could if the opportunity presented itself. Uh, exactly. But, uh, so it hasn't yet uh, this week anyway. Which is great because most people get it because of its – you know, it's efficiency when it comes to gas usage, but, um, you know. Yeah, I've got an H3, which actually is not uh, bad compared to other SUVs, and it's probably better than a lot of the pickup trucks my neighbors drive here in Texas. That's in fun. Texas, it uh, seems like about 80% of these uh, the vehicles are giant, oversized pickups. I, I want to I tap into your expertise, especially when it comes to the area of loyalty. So what's the biggest misconception that you see that people have when it comes to customer loyalty? Um. I think the biggest thing is that to uh, achieve loyalty, you want to really delight your customers, amaze them, provide a, a super duper uh, experience. There's, there's, first of all, there's nothing wrong with delighting your customers uh, or giving them a, an absolutely wonderful experience or exceeding their expectations. But uh, the research that um, Gartner Group has done shows that uh, particularly in problem resolution, people have to solve a problem, uh, that the real indicator or the real driver of loyalty is the level of effort in their experience. Uh, and the differences are just a, a phenomenal. Uh, in one part of their research, they show that uh, 96% of customers who had a high effort experience uh, reported being disloyal uh, compared to only 9% who had a low effort experience. Uh, and uh, repurchase stats are pretty similar. 94% of low effort customers repurchase. So just about all of them uh, versus 4% of high effort customers, which is just about none of them. Uh, and a very similar percentage will either uh, uh, say bad things about the brand, about 4% or 88% uh, uh, will 
Uh, I'm sorry, 88% of high effort customers will say bad things about the brand or 4% uh, of low effort customers. So uh, that is a key premise of my book, Friction, where it's um, focused on effort, both in customer experience and also internal employee experience. Uh, And uh, those numbers uh, really are sort of the tip of the iceberg, if you will. Uh, uh, There's so much uh, research out there showing how uh, when you make customers work a little bit harder, uh, they are less likely to do business with you. So so when you say friction, what do you mean by that? I mean, we're not talking about, oh, yeah, you know, you, you got to stop rubbing your, your clients with sandpaper because they hate that. Obviously, it's not what we mean. So what do you mean when you talk about friction? Yeah, yeah. Don't uh, don't rub your customers uh, anyway these days with, with anything. Uh, they, they will probably not come back. But uh, I use friction to refer to uh, uh, any uh, unnecessary expenditure of effort uh, as well as sort of proxies for effort, which are time and money, uh, but mainly effort. So uh, if you make a customer work harder uh, to place an order with you, if your ordering process is a little more complex, uh, if there's an extra step in your online checkout uh, process, uh, if you have a lengthy form versus a short form for people to fill out uh, for some reason, uh, all of these things represent friction. And uh, they are a big indicator of, uh, you know, whether folks will do business with you. Yeah, you know, Ian, I had my own experience uh, with friction as a consumer uh, with Amazon. Uh, as we know, Amazon for their uh, consumer customers makes things super easy. They've got one-click ordering. Uh, it could not be simpler to buy something from them. Sure, you find it one-click, and two days later, it is on your doorstep. Or in so some you, places, simply, two hours later. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're lucky enough. So I mean, it's um, uh, just about frictionless. And Jeff Bezos, uh, back in 1997, was talking about frictionless shopping when uh, most of us uh, were just thinking about online shopping as being, hmm, that's a pretty good idea. Uh, he already saw the potential. Uh, and he did things like uh, uh, frustration-free packaging. That was a a little more than 10 years ago, uh, they saw that their customers were struggling to open these retail packages. You know, those blister packs like you see at Walmart or Target. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They stab you and, uh, uh, you know, uh, cause blood loss when you um, uh, do them wrong. Uh, they, you know, this this was evident for everybody to see. I mean, people have been doing this for years and uh, people would often joke about how difficult it was to get into packaging. But uh, Bezos and his people said, okay, well, uh, they observed their customers. We can make this better, they thought. They did. They uh, had their vendors start packaging stuff in uh, easy-to-open little cardboard boxes that were better for the environment. Uh, you did not risk injury opening them. Uh, and uh, they were a little bit easier to ship. Uh, so, I mean, it was a, a win all the way around. And what they found was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, people liked the packaging, but uh, negative comments about the product went down, products that those things are packaged in went down 73%. So there was wow. sort of a halo effect, apparently, uh, that because it was an easier experience with these products, uh, their customers perceived the products themselves to be better. So, so Roger, what are what are some of the things that businesses do, especially in the B two B space, that they're not even aware causes friction for their customers? Because I'm guessing in your research, there's things you found that the the company thinks, "Man, we're great at this," and of course, their clients disagree. 
Yes. Uh, well, there is always a uh, – I've seen so much data showing the disconnect between uh, perception of customer experience where, uh, you know, 83% of companies uh, uh, say they have better than average customer experience or that they're highly customer-centric. And when you ask their customers that same question, uh, it's, you know, more like 15% uh, would agree with that statement. So uh, that's pretty natural. It's, it's like, you know, when you ask people if they're um, – uh, whether they're a good or a bad driver, about 85% will say they're above average. So, I mean, yeah, which statistically it's, is it's, impossible. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's not unique to uh, people's perception of their uh, customer centricity, but uh, it's it's just typical of human nature. Um, but uh, you know, I think uh, one is we underestimate the complexity or the difficulty of our processes. Uh, I was at a conference. I was talking to. Uh, a person from a company who uh, helps troubleshoot uh, customer experience from a behavioral science standpoint. And uh, she was saying that uh, they, uh, the first question they ask often is, well, how many steps in your checkout process? Uh, and uh, the person on the other end who might either be a developer or perhaps the CMO will sort of think for a second and say, well, three. Uh, when they go in and actually measure how many times a customer has to uh, click a mouse, scroll, uh, click continue to go to the next page, uh, uh, do a tab to get to the next field. It ends up being more like 27. Wow. Uh, and you know, I think uh, we, we underestimate things because we never actually watch customers doing what we want them to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you've had this experience, Ian, where you're trying to buy something from somebody and uh, you're uh, just struggling with whatever their process is. You're trying, or even trying to accomplish something else online. You're trying to use a new piece of software, uh, a new website, uh, and you're really struggling with it. And you're thinking, you know, didn't they actually try this? Now, the person who developed know, developed that page or that app knows how to do it, and probably so do the other people within the company because they were part of that process. But uh, you have to conclude that they never took a brand new user, sat them down, and just watched them try and do it. And it's so inexpensive to do that. Uh, but you know, specifically in the B2B area, uh, I was looking for uh, some special business cards to go with my uh, friction book. And I found a business that appeared to have some like interesting coatings that uh, could add a little bit of friction to my card. I said, oh, okay, that, that sounds like fun. Uh, and oh, I... Uh, click through to their uh, request a quote page. Uh, and what they had on this request a quote page was a full page PDF form uh, with with just dozens of things to fill out in there to request a quote. Now, uh, I took one look at that and said, there is absolutely zero way I'm going to do that. Uh, and I gave up. I just said, okay, I don't really want to do business with these guys because it looks like they're uh, stuck in 1995. Um, but uh, compare that to uh, some of the more advanced vendors in that area. I think one would be, say, uh, Moo.com. I've used them multiple yep. times, but there's certainly others. Uh, uh, they have such a um, simple uh, sort of intuitive process. You know, it's sort of like uh, the difference between doing your taxes using uh, the Form 1040 paper version or the PDF version of that versus using TurboTax, where they just sort of ask you little questions and guide you through the process, and uh, they explain something if you don't understand it. Uh, and it still doesn't make doing your taxes fun, but it makes it a whole lot easier. And, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, there are so many processes that we just expect, well, hey, you know, if customers really need this, uh, they're going to 
take the time to fill that out. Heck, you know, they could probably do it in 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something. And if you're the um, only game in town, that might right. be true. I mean, medical practices have exhibited this for years where, look, there's, there's such a shortage of medical professionals that if you come in and they make you fill out the same information on seven forms on a clipboard with a pen that the cap keeps falling off of, um, you know, it's just you kind of accept it because that's the way they operate. But if all of a sudden you could easily get into a competent medical practice anywhere, those people would be out of business because no one would want to show up. I remember um, we had done a few years ago a renovation in our house. And we were buying new TVs. And I had, I had keynoted a conference where the the company did a lot of brick-and-mortar stores. And they were complaining – that in their industry, people were shopping in their stores and then buying online. And so I was buying these TVs, and I thought, you know what? There's a lot of margin these things to begin with. I'm going to go to one of their stores, and I'm just going to buy this thing there instead of ordering it online. And I walk into the store, and I see the exact model TV I want, but there wasn't a price label on it. And I turn to one of the clerks, and I said, yeah, you know what? I just I need to get two of these TVs, one in this size, one in that size, but there's no price listed. The guy says, "Yeah, okay, let me um, you know, hold on, I'll, I'll get right back to you." And I asked him the same thing three other times over the next thirty minutes, and he would say, "Oh, sorry, hold on, because someone wanted to buy a backpack or what? You know, because they were selling <laughs> every other thing." So finally, as I'm standing next to the TV in their store. With my credit card in hand, I take out my phone, I went online, I ordered both TVs, and and then before I left the store, I asked to speak to a manager and I said, look, do you guys find it frustrating people come in here and kind of look through your store and then buy stuff online? He says, yeah, we hate that. I said, okay, let me just explain to you what just happened. So I came here with the intention of buying from you. You made it so impossible that I bought it online. He said, oh, can I help you now? I said, no, because they're going to be at my house at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, and I'll have to figure out how to get them from here to there. This is fantastic. It's just, you know, oftentimes I think people complain that, oh, people bought this online instead of coming to us. Well, you didn't give them a reason to buy from you. In fact, you gave them a reason to not buy from you. Right. You know, and I think that uh, often, too, businesses, both uh, B2B and B2C, look at their direct competitors as uh, who their customers are comparing them against. And I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, uh, these days, you know, just about everybody, every one of your customers, uh, regardless of what business you're in, uh, deals with Amazon. Uh, and Amazon has set such a high expectation for ease of doing business that uh, they anticipate that you'll be able to do that too. You know, uh, I've I uh, have a cable provider, and as as we know, cable providers are some of the best customer experience uh, oh, uh, providers that you'll ever encounter. Uh, and uh, I can see uh, online my last six invoices. So uh, if I need to check back, say for tax purposes, uh, uh, an older invoice, I just can't see it. Uh, uh, and you know, Amazon, I can look back at orders I placed, uh, you know, a dozen years ago with no problem at all. I can search them. I can find them instantly. You know, and uh, I, when I encounter an experience like this cable provider, which, you know, they may be looking at uh, another, you know, other cable providers, you know, if uh, uh, their spectrum, you know, they're looking at uh, Cox or somebody saying, oh, hey, yeah, they, they don't do any better than us. But that's not who the comparison is uh, these days. It's, you know, who is the best 
Uh, and uh, if uh, if you are not aiming to be, you know, uh, like an Amazon or, or one of the other customer service leaders out there, uh, I think an, uh, a great example too is Uber of saying. Um, in-person experience. Nobody really thought that uh, taxis were incredibly high friction until Uber came along and showed them how much friction they could take out of the process. From you know, from the time that you decide you want the ride to the time you uh, get out at your destination, uh, they made things so much simpler. And so now, if you encounter a process where you've got to you know physically pull out a credit card and uh, deal with a machine and so on, uh, that seems just not quite as good as what you experience elsewhere. So. You know, I think uh, uh, smart businesses are looking at uh, not their direct competition, although they have to do that too, uh, but look at the best in uh, every category and, you know, who's doing the best job out there and uh, how close can we come to doing that? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of the, the wealth management firm that I use, their CEO, a guy named Barry Glassman. I've actually had him on as a guest years ago. And if you ask Barry, well, who's your biggest competitor? People would think that he would list one of the big brokerage firms or wealth management firms. And he says, well, the biggest competitor we have really in terms of from our customer's perspective is probably Four Seasons and Ritz-Carlton. And people look at him like he's crazy. Like, what are you talking about? He says, well, that's the level of service experience that they expect. So that's what we strive to deliver when our high net worth clients walk in the door. So for example, you walk into their office and they give you this beautifully um, printed menu of tea and coffee and soft drinks, unless you've been there before. Cause if you've been there before they maintain in their system. So when you walk in the receptionist will say, hi, welcome back. Is it, is Earl Grey still what you'd like to drink? Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, they know down to, what you drink, whether you're someone who likes, you know, Splenda or Stevia or raw sugar or, you know, they have every variation on that because that's the experience their customer is looking for. Now, they also offer phenomenal services across the board in every other aspect of their business. But from a service perspective, that's what they expect to deliver every single time someone walks through the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, uh, that is so important. Uh, I remember my first experience with a Lexus dealership versus, uh, at the time, um, you know, a typical uh, Chevrolet or Ford dealership, uh, and uh, the experience was so nice where they're, you know, offering you uh, uh, a very nice living room-like type environment to sit in with a big screen TV, and there's a, uh, uh, they're bringing you refreshments and uh, you know, freshly baked cookies and whatnot, uh, compared to you know the more typical dealer where uh, you're you know sitting in like a, a uh, hallway or something uh, on a hard form of, uh, plastic chair. And I, now I think other dealers are catching up a little bit, but uh, you know it was uh, just um, uh, a wonderful experience, and it made me uh, want to say, well, gee, this is what I'd like to. If I bring my car in uh, to have it worked on, you know, do I want to be uh, you know, sitting in the hallway uh, drinking coffee that's been on the burner for about uh, three hours, or uh, you know, do three I want weeks. a fresh, a fresh <laughs> latte? Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's um, uh, you know, this is an emotional uh, thing that uh, beyond whatever the differences are in the cars, uh, you know, you just like that feeling that okay, yeah, this is the kind of environment I want to be in, uh, and you know, for me, uh, that was certainly part of the decision making process. 
So, so Roger, what are the other one or two most surprising things that you found in your research that went into friction? Well, you know, I think that uh, one thing is that uh, once you start seeing friction in the customer experience, uh, uh, your team will start seeing it in their internal experience, which uh, is a good thing. I mean, obviously, you don't. Uh, it may not seem like fun to have people complaining about uh, uh, the way they're supposed to do their job, but uh, once they start seeing, uh, you know, friction and taking it out of the customer experience, they also find the places where they are wasting time and effort. Uh, you know, meetings that aren't getting anything done that they have to sit through, uh, uh, excessive emails, uh, things like uh, rules and procedures that they have to follow to do things a certain way, even though uh, it's inefficient. Uh, and this is very demotivating uh, for employees because uh, if they are spending their time on stuff that they know uh, that A, isn't fun for them, uh, which many things may not be, but also isn't helping the customer and isn't really accomplishing either their job objective or the company's objective, uh, then that's very demotivating. So, uh, you know, I think the sort of uh, uh, friction nirvana is once uh, a once the team members are sensitized to uh, looking for friction and seeing it and correcting it, uh, then uh, you get this uh, really double effect of a much better customer experience, but also a more productive, engaged team. Yeah. Well, and of course, it's something that everyone's striving for is how do we get that productive, engaged team? I can't tell you how many times I meet with an organization and let's say whoever's running their sales will say, yeah, we just have to get people to start using this system. You know, it could be their CRM, for example. And then you talk to the reps and they say, oh, you know, every time we have an interaction with a client, they want us, they want us to fill out a form that has 27 fields on it. Like, I'm not a data entry clerk. Is well, there, exactly. And, and then they wonder, you know, a year later, uh, it, it fails. Uh, they say, well, gee, this isn't working. You know, the data in it isn't very good because people aren't using it properly. And, uh, you know, uh, huge uh, wa- there's a huge waste of time and money there where if uh, – both the people working on the project initially, as well as the people who were uh, having to use it, were focused on the friction aspect. Like, how easy is this going to be? What kind of effort is it going to take? Because there's an assumption often on the uh, part of some managers, hopefully not all managers or even the majority, that, hey, uh, you know, these people work for me. And if uh, I say that they have to fill out this form, then they ought to just fill out the darn form and uh, get on with life, you know, Uh, instead of saying, wow, you know, this is going to really uh, not be pleasant for them, and it's going to waste time when they could be doing something more productive. But uh, you know that's the way a business has been conducted in the past. And, and let's face it, with with a um, with a higher and higher employment rate, when we're pretty close to full employment right now, uh, if you want to retain employees, you better do a much better job of reducing the friction internally. Obviously, in addition to reducing the friction with your customers. Well, definitely. Yeah, yeah it can't it can't be that. And you know, people are uh, motivated when their work is accomplishing something. I think that's probably a key understanding. That often managers ignore, uh, and they figure, well, you know, we're paying them enough or whatever. But if uh, people feel like they're accomplishing something useful, uh, something that uh, uh, is part of their mission or the company's mission, they're very motivated. And when they're not doing that, uh, they aren't. Yeah, got it. Hey, Roger, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and connect with you? Uh, the best jumping off point would be rogerdooley.com. Uh, and I've got links to my various uh, uh, 
blogs at Forbes, at Neuromarketing, and my podcast uh, there, as well as my social profiles and such. On social media, I'm probably easiest to find on Twitter, where I am, at Roger Dooley. Excellent. And we will include all that stuff in the show notes. So thanks very much, people. Go go out and find – it shouldn't be that hard to find friction just about anywhere you can find books, but probably most easily – the most frictionless environment would probably be Amazon. Can't beat Amazon. <laughs> All right, Roger. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ian. It's been a fun. Roger shared some great insight. Let me give you a quick recap of the information I think you can use in your business. The notion of delighting, amazing, and just generally creating an overall great experience for your customers just isn't enough anymore. In fact, What people find is that if their level of effort is too great, if it takes too long to get a problem resolved, then 96% of those people who expend a lot of effort are disloyal to the brand. Avoid making your clients work too hard, and instead what you want to do is make sure you're not underestimating the complexity of the processes in your business. I love that stat where Roger says that people often think they have a three-step process that ends up being a 23-step process. And remember, all those things that can annoy your external customers can in, can actually have the same effect on your internal staff as well. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic I should cover or a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer. Bye now.